Hey, folks, I'm Tom. And I'm Keith. And you know this drill. We're going to remind you about the Dunlap Champions Club. But uh, in particular, with spring football underway, the spring game coming up, we do this every year, so do Seminole Boosters. It's the perfect time to sample the Dunlap Champions Club. If you've never been there, 70,000 square feet of air-conditioned space, those those uh, seat-back chairs, even got cup holders in them, all the things, the amenities that uh, sometimes you think about, where in the world is all this in a stadium? Well, you got it right there. All the TVs, the ability to get up and mingle between floors. This would be a perfect opportunity if you've never been to the Champions Club to sample it during the spring game, get a taste of it, and see if it might work for you. They invite, they encourage it. Uh, Many of you, your first time to the uh, Champions Club, the Dunlap Champions Club, may have been a a previous spring game. Uh, So here's the number to call. Make a note, 644-1830. Tell them Tom and Keith told you to call. You want to go take a tour, check out the Dunlap Champions Club and enjoy some spring football. And also, enjoy Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back again. Keith, I mean this with all sincerity. I'm sorry that I'm staring at you right now because I was really hoping you were going to be in Minneapolis and we'd do this on the phone again. All right. Well, that's about 90% personal and about 10% basketball-wise, but I'll take it. (laughs) It wasn't to be. We're going to talk more football than we are uh, basketball here, but uh, at some point we'll... You know, we'll put the book in to to finish up the conversation on hoops. But I do want to start with football because... uh, it's officially football season. I mean, it's taken us this long. The spring game is uh, Saturday at 4. And and something has happened that has never happened before. We've actually had coaches shows on the two Monday nights leading up to the Saturday spring game. That's never happened at Florida State. I like it. I do, too, because there's some interesting uh, developments that come out of spring. Now, I'll say this, and I realize that there's uh, people are lethargic, uninspired right now. They're going to have to – it's going to have to be built before they will come. Uh, unfortunately, that's where we are right now. But that, that, I, I would agree. That's the way this season's going to go. That said, in the history of your association with Florida State spring football games, how many have really been interesting? How many do you look back and think, you know, I remember that spring game? Because I've got about three in my mind. Well, really, only one stands out to me. Actually, that's not true. Two stands out to me. Uh, the The first one, the most important one, was the one my junior year because it meant I didn't have to do this ever again. Right. All right, so that was very important because, you know, back in the day, uphill both ways in the snow, it was tough. But I think the, the Jameis Winston spring game, particularly the first play when he throws to the right. freshman over LaMarcus. Right, which you and I called that game, yep. and that was one that was on my short list. Yep. And then uh, now that I'm thinking, you know, I, I really like the game down in Orlando because it was the first time it had been moved and, and it was changed and it was different. And it was a great crowd in another city. But your point is most spring games don't have a lot of drama and don't actually live up to maybe some of the hype. Um so I get that. I get that. Well, in a nutshell, if the offense does well, then we fret about the defense. And if the defense does well, we think the offense stinks. That's where you leave, even though you're excited to see these guys. Which is back to the point where we need to be playing these I, I games. Was, no, I was not going to have that conversation. <laughs> I was not going to have that and conversation. by the way, we will be playing Georgia. It just won't be in spring ball. We'll get to that later. We will get there. Uh, the other ones I would throw into the mix, and 
I mean, I didn't keep track, but I feel like I've probably been to every spring football game since the late 80s. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple that I missed in there. I mean, there I, was one year it was at Gene Cox Stadium. I was at that one. You know, I th- now that you think about it, I think I have made every one since 77. Right, and you just mentioned a couple that stand out. Winston's at the top of the list. I will say this, last year stood out because of the crowd and the excitement about Taggart. The other one that comes to mind, though, was in the late 90s. I guess it was 97, probably, when Kendra was in line to be the starting quarterback, and he blew out his ACL when Bradley Jennings hit him. That was a significant develop that altered the course of Florida State history because Kendra wound up moving to fullback. Winky won a title and a Heisman based on that unfolding. But I don't even... I've seen the video clip of it. The one year Randy Moss was here, he caught a touchdown in the spring game. I think I was there, but I really don't have a recollection of it. I mean, at that point in time, we didn't know Randy Moss was going to become what he became. The point is, I realize there's a general malaise, and I don't know what the attendance will be this week. I do think there is reason for for optimism and hope, and usually we're the ones that maybe try to pump the brakes a little bit at this point, from the standpoint that it, it does appear that – Bryles was a good move. The offense is moving more quickly. Uh, Clements is maybe getting more out of the offensive line than what we saw last year. Now, we won't know until we get into August and September. And on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll ask Tim about this, it appears that an area that has been much maligned for the last decade or so, which is the linebacking core, maybe is making some strides because those guys, especially in the last scrimmage, you know, were singled out a little bit for playing well. And, and and that would be good news because that is the one area that all of us have been uh, critical of on the defensive side of the ball. I had a conversation with someone last night that, that will remain nameless that is very well plugged into the program, i.e. is there every day. And uh, I just asked him, I said, how are things different? And he said, you'll be impressed with the efficiency of the offense. As As bad as they were last year, obviously they had a long way to go. He said, come Saturday, you'll be impressed with how the offense gets to the line. Gets up. Now, I'm not going to tell you you'll be impressed with what they do with it after the snap, you know, the actual result of the play. He said, but it will be night and day uh, different than what you are expecting or had seen previously. Part of that has to do with a point that you brought out when Bryles was first hired, and that is how he signals in plays and uh, different in terms of a full playbook and all that, just quicker using his hand signals. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I'm just interested to see, but I, I do think I, I don't – the Jameis game is probably the exception because I had heard whispers that he was pretty good, but I didn't know. And then that first play, I was like and, – and, again, you and I called that game. I was like, okay. And he was – you know, he was throwing guys open, and if there was a DB in front of the receiver, he's intentionally throwing it a yard behind him to turn him around and slow his momentum. I mean, it was that, – that It was one, pretty remarkable. That one there was a buzz to. Last year, there was a buzz, not so much because of what happened on the field, though people were excited about LeBourne and, and Terry. It was more about just kind of a new era and a fresh start and the crowd that went with it. Um, so we'll see. We'll talk with Tim. I don't know where the the, the attendance will be. Uh, I do think people are in wait-and-see mode, and that's fine. Um, but part of the wait-and-see mode or the lack of excitement about this year, and I'll use this as a transition, is that the home schedule is less than desirable. The Boise State game moved to Jacksonville. Boise State would have been unique and would have added some flair to the home schedule, not to the degree that yesterday's news will, that you have Georgia on the schedule. So, your thoughts? Uh, I love it. I love it. The The downside is because of the way things are scheduled, you're scheduling way out. Because remember, at the same time that Florida State announces play in Georgia, 
Georgia announced they were playing Florida State. And, oh, by the way, they've redone a, a series with Clemson. And, and those games, I believe, are in 32 and 33. So we're talking 15 years from now, Georgia is scheduling games. And, unfortunately, Florida State's having to schedule that far out as well. I think the one thing that, that David really, really understands, and um, I, I know Jeff and, and the boys uh, yesterday on Headlines talked about it, is in those odd number of years, those odd years, um, you, you've really got to do something. You've got to do something to beef up the home schedule. In the even years, you're going to have Clemson in Florida, and, and even by themselves, that's going to be a pretty good draw. Um, but in those odd years, maybe you got to start thinking a little more outside of the box, not that a home-and-home home with Georgia is outside the box. But I think, we're, Tommy, we're getting back to where we were 30 or 40 years ago I know the neutral site games are important and they, they generate revenue and, you know, you probably want to play in those, you know, once every three years, once two out of every four years. But getting back to just the fundamental stuff, you know, it's back to basic. Uh, I'd love to see them. They were talking about Texas. Man, I don't think Florida State's ever played Texas. I think that would be a great home-and-home home if it could be arranged. And and I don't know where that's going to go. So I looked at the schedule in light of that conversation, and we'll just cite Ira as the source on this. I mean, he kind of carries the headlines, guys, anyways, when it comes to facts, right? Can we throw that out there? We'll just give Ira all the credit. I'll, I'll choose not to comment on that, but yes. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, because I've not had deep conversations about this, but if you look at the uh, – I'll talk more about the odd years because you're right. In the odd year, in the even years, you have Florida and Clemson. You've got two anchors to the home schedule. In the odd years, you have Miami, which has – And sometimes Notre Dame. Sometimes Notre Dame. Well, which could fall into either of those exactly. years. But Miami has not been an anchor at all. Uh, hasn't been relevant in years and doesn't bring as many fans even when they are as what a Clemson or Florida would bring. So, you know, this year you've, the Boise State game got moved to Jacks. I will opine, and I'm excited about going to Boise when we go out there in 20. Uh, Florida State, when you're doing home and homes, it needs to be at the Power 5 level, not at the Boise State level, because it's a nothing-to-gain series for FSU. But, I do agree with that. It's an everything-to-lose, nothing-to-gain series. But remember when that was announced eight or ten years ago, I mean, that's how much the game has changed. Ten, eight or ten years ago, that was a huge Well, thing. it was a huge deal that Florida State was going to go out west, and we were excited. But I still think when you look at the pecking order and the fact they're not a Power 5 school, I'll say this. At that point, there were rumors that Boise State maybe would join the Pac-12. We didn't know. That is fair. That is fair. So that contract could have got signed, and the next thing you know, they are a Power 5 school. That's but fair. it didn't materialize that way. Anyway, just looking at the odd years. In 21, uh, Notre Dame is on the schedule with Miami. In 23, now this has not been, uh, well, I'll just go through all of them. In 20, you've got at Boise, you've got Florida and Clemson at home. In 21, you've got Notre Dame and Miami at home, and you're at Florida and at Clemson that year. In 22 and 23, this has not been officially announced, though it's it's going to happen. That's when LSU comes on the schedule. And in 22, you're playing LSU in New Orleans, but you have Florida and Clemson at home. In 23, you have LSU in Orlando. Um and and you're at Florida and at Clemson, you have Miami at home. Now, I would say, and I don't have any – matter of fact, I talked with somebody yesterday, so I don't think this is even being discussed. If there was one thing that could be done, and, and money's going to be the answer because I don't know how much New Orleans and Orlando are bringing to the table, I, I would love to revisit that and say, let's go to Baton Rouge in 22 and bring LSU here in 23. But I'm, I'm not saying that's happening. I, to my knowledge, that's not even part of the discussion. 24, you have Florida and Clemson at home. You play at Notre Dame. So 25 is the next date on the schedule that I looked at where you've got room to add somebody. You play at Florida and at Clemson, uh, but you don't. You've got Miami at home. You've got no other big-name opponent. 
none of the neutral site games have announced their opponents or their matchups. So Chick-fil-A, AT&T, Houston, Orlando, none of them have their games on the table. That's the first year that that I see where there's a hole, and maybe that's where the next neutral site comes. I, I would tell you, if I were a betting man right now, that's what will happen. Because you like to do the homes and homes back-to-back. And if you do that in 25, you really can't do, afford to do anything in 26, if, and, I, if I remember correctly. And here's why. Because in 26, you have Florida, Notre Dame, and Clemson exactly. Exactly. all at home. Exactly. So are you going to make, uh, you know, and now Florida State did this in 2014, but are you gonna, when they played Oklahoma State in addition to Florida and Notre Dame, but are you going to get a third Power 5 conference and do a return game? You could. But that makes that 26 schedule uh, crazy. Then 27, uh, Georgia's here uh, along with Miami. You're at Florida and at Clemson. 28, you're at Georgia and Florida. Um, If I've got that right. Or no, and Florida's here. And then Notre Dame is on the schedule in 29 and 30. So long way. I know it does. It's not good radio to list it out the way I did. but But the bottom line is when you talk home and homes, and we dismiss them because they happen every year, Florida Florida State plays a home and home with Florida every two years. If you look at that decade of the twenties, they've got two, maybe it's three home and homes with Notre Dame. Now you've added, you have a home and home with Boise. You've got a, a semi home and home with LSU, and you just added a home and home with Georgia. Yeah. Now, so I don't disagree. I'd love to see Texas come on there. I just don't know where it's going to happen based on the way. Now you could move some games around, and you could say, or you could schedule them into the thirties, right, right? Which is not as sexy and, and as exciting, but you know when you frame it the way you have again, maybe not good radio. I wish we had uh, video to put up a PowerPoint, but if you look at it within that snapshot, that's not a bad decade, twelve years worth of games. Maybe one hole in that twenty-four or twenty-five year you were talking about, which you'd be you would be very in, exciting, enticing to play in the neutral site. But that's not a bad schedule if you if you really think about it. In whole, in no, whole, no, it's not. And I think uh, David Coburn is—he's hitting the nail on the head when you're addressing the odd seasons because the season ticket renewal rate is an issue. Even when you, even in the Jameis years, you're declining a little bit. It's just the nature of college athletics now and the home experience. And you know, I can watch this on my hundred-inch TV screen at home uh, and have better Wi-Fi. All that. Everybody's facing those challenges, but specifically Florida State, when there's no anchor in the odd years, you've got to fix that, and so that's what they're they're working to fix. Do you think Florida State should be at seven home games routinely or six? Uh, I, now the local merchants are going to be annoyed that I, hope that I asked that question. Here's the way I would answer that. Your goal is always seven, but you're willing to give up one of those games for a neutral site game because whether we want to admit it or not, and again the local, local merchants hate it, Florida State's athletic department nets more dollars in those neutral site games than they net in the home game. You can't afford to do that every year because the competition would blow you out and it would drive your fan base crazy. But goal is seven. Once every three, twice every four years, I'm willing to give up one of those home games for a neutral site that is in a fan base that you know our, our folks can get to and it is an area where we've got good alumni. I, I, you know, I don't necessarily like the Texas – locale for neutral site i know jerry's world is a great stadium but if, man if you could stick to orlando jacksonville atlanta well that's really more where you're recruiting from exactly and coach taggart's exactly. been that. I, I was just thinking in my head you know when you have seven home games one of them is delaware state that nobody's coming to anyway certainly if you're a season ticket holder 
and even if FSU is number one, but you live in Miami, Tampa, or Orlando, it's a haul. You're you're going to choose if you're choosing six games out of the seven. You're not coming. To, so my point is, and, and and the answer is probably that there's not enough money to do this. But if you're going to play that opponent, Dell State, Bethune Cookman, play that game in Jacksonville and open up to another crowd, so your season ticket base isn't having to come back to Tallahassee. Well, the, the problem but, with that is in a perfect world. You want either one of those games or an open date before you play Clemson or Florida. And then starting putting all yeah. those pegs together starts to get very, very complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's easy for us to say that. I did, the bigger issue is being addressed, and that is beefing up the home schedule in odd years. Um, speaking of merchants, will be upset that I had this conversation. Uh, our good friend Matt Thompson at Madison Social would be one of them. He's in favor of playing 12 home games every year because it helps the bottom line, uh, along with the hoteliers and everybody else. And everyone of them kicking at noon, regardless of how hot the fans get. So, Matt, save your text or your direct message to me. I get it. I understand. We do appreciate your uh, your support. You were uh, great. We had a great time when we went out for the selection show, my wife and I, to Madison Social. Always have a great time when we're out there. This is a perfect brunch weather, I might add. Now, you know, by the time you listen to this, it may be 112 degrees, but in the last few days have been perfect brunch weather to sit outside at townships and trolley, uh, Madison Social. Go ahead. Four o'clock kick for the spring game, somewhere around 1130 or noon. It'd be great to be sitting down there, wouldn't it? Both before and after the game. You're being after greedy. the concert. You're being greedy. We've got to take a break. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, has been warming up, and he is a fountain of information. Maybe, but whatever he knows, he'll share. He knows more than us, clearly, and he'll share that next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Going back old school with the spring game once again this weekend. Of course, this show is always fairly old school, which is why we're just not resonating or connecting with our younger demographic our only hope is uh, our seminoles.com insider tim linnefeld and frankly tim you're not really moving the needle with the younger folks either though you're doing a better job than than we are how you doing less and less every day i'm doing pretty well tom how are you doing good do you, do you have your parachute pants on <laughs> <laughs> you know what i uh, i donated those to the goodwill uh, a few years ago and haven't been able to track them down since Tim joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. It is spring game week. Uh, unfortunately, the you know the downside uh, of the clean break here is that basketball season ended. I, I told Keith that I was hoping that I wouldn't see him this week, and I, frankly, I was hoping that you'd be on the line from Minneapolis right now. But alas, just to just to finish the conversation on hoops, I really thought this was one of the most enjoyable teams that I watched compete this year, and I feel like they got everything they could out of what they had and it's a shame that two guys weren't available in that matchup with Gonzaga because I do think Florida State would have won and once again would have been right there to go to the final four so bottom line there's not one iota of me that feels disappointed about it It was a great year and really really entertaining to watch no I I agree with you completely Uh, I mean you know it's 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 interesting to contrast it to last year's team because I feel like you know that group kind of got hot at the end of the season. I, you know, nobody really saw that type of run coming, but then by the time they make it to the Elite Eight, get as close as they were, uh, and then realize that had they beaten Michigan, 
um, that they, you know, would have played Loyola Chicago in the Final Four, and I, you know, they probably would have liked their chances there. Um, there was a real sense of of almost loss, like a you know an opportunity that that they missed. Um, and not to say that this group wasn't disappointed after the Gonzaga game uh, because they were, but you know, I think it was sort of a, almost a different feeling of you know, given everything they had been through, given that they didn't have Phil Kofer, they didn't have David Nichols, uh, given that they played against. You know, a one seed who who I thought played a pretty good game that night. I mean, there was almost sort of a, and I don't want to say resolution, but you know, they they were sort of they had the vibe in the locker room. But you know what? We gave it a, a good, solid, honest effort. You know, we feel good about what we were able to do. Again, not to say that there wasn't some disappointment because there, you know, there was, but it wasn't the same. I think that that you know that that group felt pretty uh, overall pretty pleased with the season that they had and and, and where they were able to end up. You know, my takeaways, and obviously they may change five or ten years from now, Tim, but 29 wins, you played every number one seed in the tournament, and you beat one of them. Uh, you beat Purdue. You beat LSU, who made it and, and advanced. Um, it, it, it was a remarkably consistent year. You started it with, what, 12 or 13 wins in a row, and at one point in the second half you'd run 14 in a row. Uh, I mean, it was a start-to-finish enjoyable season with kids that uh, stayed out of trouble, they're graduating, you're proud of, and, and you're just happy for, particularly those that are going on, because uh, the Terrence Manns and the Kamajis of the world, you know, it's what college basketball used to be and hopefully we'll get back to as opposed to the one and dones. Kids that came in with great upside but needed the time in college to get better and grew together and played as a team. No, I, you're, you're exactly right. That's a great observation about uh, about Terrence and, and Chris and those guys. And and honestly, I you know I feel that way about kind of the whole team, and not to say that that they don't have some pro prospects on that team because they do. I think we all you know we all expect that DeAndre Kevin Gelly at some point is going to be a pretty talented professional player. But you know, by and large, I mean this was a group made up of, of you know quote unquote college basketball players, right? Like somebody like a Terrence Mann, uh, or even somebody like David Nichols, you know, who I mean they were just when you think of like like you mentioned like the old school college basketball approach and guys who took time to develop and improve their games and evolve their games and you know, get better at things as seniors that they weren't as good at as freshmen. I mean, this team had, uh, I mean, it was almost top to bottom. That's what they were. And I, and I think, you know, Terrence Mann really embodied that to me. Uh, Phil Kofer, um, disappointing ending uh, aside, you know, you wish he could have been available in that tournament. But the way that he reinvented himself as a, a three-point shooter and a perimeter player after starting essentially as a five, uh, you know, I mean, you don't see that. And, and even I remember when he was trying to do it, and then you looked at him like, man, what are you, are you, are you crazy? You're, you're not a three-point shooter. And then one day you looked up and he was, <laughs> you know. Uh, so to me, it's a real testament to, to those guys, to the coaching staff, to the attitudes that they have, um, the attitudes and the, and the spirit that I think the coaching staff has gotten the program and the players to buy into. Um, you know, the idea of, of, you know, you've heard Leonard say it a bunch, you know, anybody can be a hero and, you know, greater than when a team that's going to be greater than the sum of its parts. And, and they really were. And then, you know, in, in an era in college basketball where Keith, you alluded to, I mean, guys are here for a year and then they're gone and it's about, you know, boosting the profile and, and, and you know getting as in as good a position as you can for the next level. And then if, if your team, your college team, can have some success on that ride as well, then that's fine too. But by and large, it's, it's become a pretty individualized process. Uh, I mean, this group and this team ran completely counter to that. Okay, we're done with FSU hoops for now. But congrats, very much so, very much so. As an aside, that was the most fantastic. <clears throat> Round, uh, elite eight round i can ever remember the way those four games went and i really feel like 
Virginia, maybe it's just karma now when you when you take what they did last year and then you hit a shot like that to extend it. And I was trying to process what I was looking up is, I, you know, if you remember Duke the year Leitner hit the shot because there's some pair. I mean, it's not the same deal, but it had the same type feel. Duke had been embarrassed, if memory serves, the year before by UNLV and Duke had not won a title yet under Coach K. And then that shot happened and they win their first two. And it feels like you know, maybe Virginia now, that last year is gone. They got to the final four. You make a shot like that, you feel like maybe this is your year. I don't need you guys to opine on Virginia, but that's where I am on that. Let's talk football. How about that, Tim? I'm ready. Okay, so I was reading what you had on Seminoles.com, and I mentioned this to Keith, but one of the things that stood out last week, and this is a phrase that has not been uttered in several years, the linebacking play stood out last week at the scrimmage. Am I correct on Say this? What? Yeah, Say I what? Say what? And that's been kind of a, a pretty cool and, and welcome development. One, just having guys at that position, uh, you know, the, the depth there was, was a problem for so long. Um, and then, you know, having young players come out and emerge. I mean, you know, Leonard Warner the third, I thought, had a really good scrimmage. Uh, you know, the, the sack totals uh, you have there, I mean, they have to be kind of, um, you know, viewed through the lens of the scrimmage and that, you know, you're not, you're not actually hitting the quarterback and bringing him to the ground. But officially speaking, I think he had either four or five sacks in that scrimmage. I mean, there's a lot of time you saw Florida State with a, a, a linebacker, uh, like a traditional linebacker, um, with, with that, you know, making a, an impact in the pass rush. Man, it's been a long time. Uh, and then a guy like Jaleel McCray, who's a, an early enrollee freshman, only been here for a few weeks, and, you know, all the old kind of cliches about those early enrollees, man, I mean, he should be getting ready to go to his senior prom, uh, and he's here at Florida State making plays with the defense, making interceptions, um, showing off some, some football IQ, you know, and Willie Taggart said it, uh, and I thought really was a, was a nice quote about him. I mean, he's he's making plays because he knows where to be and he knows what to do once he's there. Um, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, usually it's the way around, right? You bring in a, a highly tatted prospect and, and he's got talent and he's got ability and you've got to show him how to use it. You're the guy that's been here for all like 12 weeks or so and he, he already has that. He already has that that knowledge and the, the sort of instinct and the and the the book smarts, if you will. So it's hard hard not to be excited about a guy like that who's only been here for a few weeks. I'll let let Keith jump in after this. Has his performance been surprising, though? And this is just me not recalling recruiting and not being that wrapped up in in it to begin with. I mean, was he, if you look at this year's signing class, was he one of the top four or five guys and you thought this was going to happen? Or is this kind of coming out of left field? You know, I think probably somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't don't think you're you're exactly shocked uh, about it, but I don't know that he's Academy, uh, and you know the, uh, the the kind of pedigree that that has uh, for uh, for guys. Uh, you know, it's usually you know pretty pretty big time in terms of football and, and the, the the players and the, the competition there. Uh, you know, the four star prospects. It's not like he was totally unheard of. I think that the big thing with him was that I think most everybody uh, expected him to go to Florida up until fairly late in his recruiting process. Uh, you know, he was leaning that way, and most of the the predictors and the pundits had him going to Florida. And Good clarification on IMG because that's certainly not left field. I think IMG would consider itself center field uh, at the very best. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah, go ahead, KJ. After the spring game, are we going to be as high on the offensive line as we are now on the linebackers after the last scrimmage? Well, I think we could be. It's, it's, I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. I mean, you know, you have to remember uh, they're splitting into uh, into different teams, so you might not have your whole first team. Offensive line. Uh, I remember, you know, last year they, they ended up mixing and matching the O line to get the best combinations uh, that they could. I I do not know if that's the plan again. Uh, if so, I don't. You know, I haven't been told about that yet. It wouldn't surprise me if they did. But at least as of right now, I don't believe that's what they're going to see. You might not actually see 
uh, your full first-team offensive line. And, and then you have to also factor in you know, Cole Minshew. I haven't practiced much, if at all, this spring. Landon Dickerson's been pretty limited, and I think those are guys that are going to factor in as well. So I think they have a chance to show some good things, but uh, but I also wouldn't read too, too much into the uh, that offensive line uh, just because of those reasons. Tim, I forgot to give you a fair warning. We are going to get to uh, rapid fire here in a couple minutes, just so you know. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, I didn't give you the, the proper prep time on that. So the offensive install with, with Kendall Brown seems to be going well, and reports are the offense is moving more quickly, more efficiently. I mean, is that is that accurate? Are we going to come out of the spring game and say, man, that is noticeable? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, it, it, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, I mean, I, I my own opinion is that I think they look pretty quick and pretty sharp with it. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you, I, I thought that a lot last year too. So it, it, you, know, you you have to wonder kind of how much you trust yourself, and then also sort of put things into, into the proper context. I mean, I do think guys seem a little bit more comfortable with it, um, just watching body language, if that makes any sense. You know, you see uh, you know fewer you know, quick turning heads looking at the sideline. You know, fewer people kind of throwing up their arms in frustration because they didn't know. Uh, what they were doing, you know, whether or not they're able to execute it on Saturday. You know, again, I, I still think that that probably comes down to you know, the rosters a little bit. Um, and I would expect the, you know, the James Blackman group to be a little further ahead just because I think he's a little bit further ahead uh, as a quarterback. But, uh, but by and large, I think, you know, the big thing that's probably helping them is they just kind of know what it feels like, even if the offense isn't exactly the same. And I think it's more similar than different, but even if it isn't exactly the same, they know what it feels like to snap the ball, run a play, hurry back to the line get the play and then snap it again, you know, whereas uh, you know, I think maybe we didn't um, didn't fully appreciate or I didn't fully appreciate just how much of a foreign language that was for some of those guys that had never done anything like that before. And, you know, to be, to be fair, particularly some of the older players, the juniors and seniors, that, you know, they weren't recruited to play in that type of system and, and you know, wasn't really in their wheelhouse. And so uh, I think, you know, you do anything over and over again for a year. Uh, you like to think you'd be better at it at the end of the year than you were at the beginning. And I think if nothing else, you'll see strides in that regard. Tim, any update on uh, tickets sold? Expectation of walk up? Uh, are the kids going to show up? I.e., the students. What what what's Campbell going to look like at four o'clock? I mean, I think it'll hopefully look pretty good. Uh, you know, the, the big thing you know, you're still crossing your fingers about the weather, and there's supposed to be some uh, some thunderstorms on Friday, but hopefully they'll clear it out uh, by then. And if, if we have weather like we did uh, these last couple of days, I think uh, you'd have a pretty nice turnout. Let me just point out uh, that uh, fans are being encouraged to get your tickets uh, online at Seminoles.com. Just print them out. It'll save you uh, the lines at the gates, $10 for those tickets. Game expected to go two to two and a half hours. The concert will start about 25 minutes, 20 minutes afterwards. Here's the big thing. We haven't talked about it, and uh, Keith and I can touch on it later, but uh, they're piloting. Uh, I don't know that they have a name for it, but it's basically a lounge for seminal booster members and season ticket holders where they're going to sell beer. Uh, and that's going to be on the west side of the stadium between Gates E and F. If all goes well there, I think that'll get rolled out this fall. And there's an alumni flag football game. Keith, are you in the alumni game? That would be a negatory, Ghost Rider. Yes, the pattern is full. It's been full for how many years now? A number. A number. All right. Well, uh, you can coach them. No, I'll stay in the booth and watch and then laugh when they pull hamstrings. You ready for rapid fire? Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, we don't have all the music and all that. Matthew, our uh, uh, producer extraordinaire, will add all the bells and whistles uh, in time for next week's show. But here we go. Uh, MC Hammer or Tone Loke? Uh, for me, Tone Loke. Tone Loke or Color Me Bad? Tone Loke. Number of touchdown passes thrown by James Blackman. The over-under is two and a half. I go Over. Number of touches by Kalen LeBourne, and the over-under is 10.5. Over. 
number of yards rushed for by Cam Akers. The over-under is 99 and a half. Mm, under. I marked you down for over. You took under. Okay, this one is uh, open-ended. The headliner. This could be one or two play players, but who, when we when we read the reports after the game, who who's going to be dominating the headlines? There, so and so made this play or did this. What? Give me a name or two. That's not a rapid fire question. I'm sorry, you don't get a vote. Answer the question. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know who? You know, uh, here's a, here's an under uh, under the radar guy who uh, I think has had a really nice uh, camp um, on offense is uh, Cam McDonald. Um, I've heard a lot of guys talking about him, but you know, every time I look up, he's making plays with the ball in his hand. He really likes to, uh, you know, he likes that matchup kind of advantage that he gets uh, in terms of you know being a little too quick for a linebacker and a little too big for a DB. So I, I think he could be in line for a big game. And then defensively, uh, the guy who, uh, you know, no, nobody's asked me, but uh, who I think could be a contender for a, for a defensive MVP uh, is Asante Samuel. I think he's just been outstanding, been disruptive. Uh, he makes plays on defense, makes plays on special teams. Uh, I think that, uh, that he could be a guy that you see stand out in a big way as well. How's that? Two uh, two choices. You handled that well. It may not have been rapid fire, but it wasn't essay either, Tim, just so you know. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like an extended character. It was fill in the here. blank. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, well, I did say open-ended rather than fill in the blank, so my fault. All right, this one, uh, we're just testing your general knowledge. Uh, Florida State has this great tradition of the Sod Cemetery. So, against which opponent was that tradition born? Oh, I know that. It was, uh, it was Georgia. Right, right. I just thought mm-hmm. I'd throw that in. Now, the bonus to that, which two players, just name one of them, brought back some Sod from that game between the hedges? Well, Keith isn't old enough, right? Correct. No, no. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know. I can take a shot in the dark. Um, was that Ron Sellers' era right about? No, it's not Ron, but it is in that close to that. Uh, he's a little later than that. Okay. Gene McDowell. Gene McDowell and Red Dawson. So the story okay. goes that uh, Coyle Moore gave a speech to go win the game up there and pull some sod from between the hedges, and those two guys remembered it and brought it back, and thus the tradition was born. There you go. So hopefully there'll be two players in whatever year it is, 28 that we go to Athens that are doing that. Yeah. Okay, this this is another, this really isn't rapid fire either, but we haven't mentioned it yet. I thought this was cool. The Johnny Bench Award for the best catcher in college baseball has been renamed the Buster Posey Award. This is true, Keith. You may not have seen this. I did not see that. So if we move to the football side, which national award, and we already have the Blitnikoff, but which national award should be renamed for an FSU player and which player? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I... I mean no disrespect to the great sport, uh, just as I'm sure that uh, the the college baseball folks mean no disrespect to the uh, the great Johnny Bench. But uh, you know, I don't think anybody would stop if you were to name the Deep Award after Dion. Yeah, that's where I went to. Keith was raising his hand. What do you got, KJ? Charlie for Johnny Unitas. Okay, I think it'd be fine too. Yeah, I mean, if you put Charlie in there, it's all right. Um, and finally, this is rapid fire: garnet or gold? Gold. Gold, team gold. Yeah. All right, so that's te- just me. Team gold. They gonna is it? I mean, is it going to be all gold all the way? They're going to cover easily. <laughs> I mean, is the gold team going to put in the lighter gold subs for the fourth quarter of this game? I mean, it's going to be that much of a, a blowout. What do you got? I don't, I don't know about that. We'll we'll see. You know, it's actually funny. I talked to uh, to Willie Taggart about it um, the other uh, just a little bit ago, actually, and uh, he said, you know, that uh, he, he kind of sees people saying that, and he said, but you know what? Uh, Oftentimes, that uh, you think you have these things pegged, this particularly in these types of settings, and then it uh, very rarely does it work out uh, the way that you think it will. So, uh, so maybe he knows something I don't. 
But uh, but just looking at it, I uh, I'm, I'm leaning gold. All right, so there you have it. Call your bookies. You, Tim <laughs> Tim has uh, given us the insight. Did you notice how he just slyly, kind of coyly mentioned he was just talking to Willie Taggart? Just talking with it. That's why. I just want you to know that I'm that I'm. That's I'm why a, you're our Seminoles.com insider, Tim. Appreciate it, sir. We'll see you Saturday. Yeah, All righty, on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, he just dropped that in. I was just having lunch with Willie, and he, you know, he said, "You never know." All right, we'll take a break. Come back with more front row Knowles. There's a big game tonight: Gators and Knowles. Uh, we'll discuss when we return. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Always a busy time, when, especially when you get to the month of April on the university calendar and uh, the university athletics calendar. Spring football game this weekend. Basketball just wrapped up. Baseball and softball are on the diamond. And the softball team... Defending national champs, I might add. A big one tonight is it's Knowles and Gators. We're really pleased to bring Lonnie Alameda back to the show. Coach, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you all? Great. Really appreciate a couple minutes of your time. I know it's a game day. And when you have a – you've had the national stage now for some time uh, because of what your your team accomplished last year in Oklahoma City. But So we're, we're middle of the season. It, it's a weeknight, and you've got a national TV audience for, for a big-time matchup like this game against the Gators. I mean, that speaks to just kind of the growth of the sport and where we're at right now. Yeah, definitely. It's been so much fun to see softball all over the television. And, you know, even early in February, we're out in St. Pete Clearwater playing that tournament down there. And uh, it's a great game, and tonight's going to be great for the state of Florida, for the rivalry game, you know, with Florida Florida State, and just for the game of softball, too, on the national stage. It's going to be awesome. Lonnie, uh, let's, ex- let's let's talk a little bit more about that. These these tournaments where you're playing and inviting teams in, and you're playing in, and we'll call them for football parlance, neutral site areas. How important is that for you to build your program relative to national exposure and recruiting? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think that we've tried to play the most competitive schedule possible. And, um, you know, we, we try to go out and put ourselves in a lot of situations and, and we're very lucky not being in the SEC to be able to play this home and home with Florida. So it really helps us propel our game and our RPI, but just the, the TV part of it, you know, for people across the country to see Florida state play, um, you know, the reigning national championships play, see what we're all about. I mean, we're getting eyes from all over the country, you know, West coast to Midwest. So, it's really good for recruiting, for, for booster and alumni love, um, for just people to be proud of your university. So it just gains um, such, a, such a big audience and it hits a lot of boxes for us. And I think the main thing is just growing our game. Um, you know, now you have kids. I mean, we've been to so many states now, even going out to Arizona, kids that have watched the team and never met the team and they wanted to be a Callie Herod or meet a Jesse Warren or take a picture with Megan King and just getting that national stage and, and getting the eyes on the game. It just, it gives so much uh, confidence and excitement for these little young girls to want to go to the next level. And it's just it's so neat to be a part of that. I know you can't talk specifics, but how tangible has it been in terms of, and, and Florida state has been on the national scene when you're talking about recruiting top high school players, 
But now with the national title, is it tangible that prospects or student athletes that, you know, maybe wouldn't take your calls before are doing so or, or coaches of renowned high school programs are a little more inviting, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that might have changed a little bit. Um, I mean, we are who we are. Um, we know what works here. Uh, that's kind of been the, the motto of ours. There's, there's a Florida State type recruit that we go out and look for. And, you know, I'm lucky to have a, an amazing coaching staff that we've been together for nine seasons now working together. So we've got the ideas of what we want. So I think if people were on board with us before and knew our program and knew what flourished here, they're on board with us now. And the ones that, you know, maybe trying to jump in, um, you know, we still have to get to know. So uh, I, I think we stick with our roots and kind of what we've been a part of and, and keep it growing. Lonnie, I, I personally, you know, I haven't had this conversation with you, but I think personally for me, being 60 years of age, my girls didn't play softball. Some, A couple of my granddaughters are, are interested in it, but they're very, very young. The way the game has changed has become so much more viewer friendly. Uh, you know, no no offense, but, you know, that the, the slap balls and all that type of stuff folks just weren't familiar with. Now you've got, and particularly your team, can take the ball long. Your whole lineup has nine or ten holes exactly. inside I mean, I mean, I mean, when you – this sounds really crazy, but when you do a replay of your ladies in a swing – it looks like a major league baseball swing. That 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 foot is extended. That it's a full. I mean, it's great viewing to see what these ladies can do on 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 the on the diamond these days. Yeah, definitely. I, there's been a lot of change in our game. Um, you know, and it's slowly been going for a while. You know, we went from a white ball to a yellow ball to be able to to see more because we want more offensive production. We went to the ceramic um, type bats. Um, you know, the composite. So, you know, we got a lot more um, ability to drive the ball out of the yard. But then the mindset, I mean, you're talking every program in the country has video on pitchers and we're scouting and we got, you know, shift charts and, and we know where to pitch people and what to do. Um, on the other side, all the hitters are getting educated on what pitcher has in, in our arsenal, what pitches to throw on certain counts. I mean, all that's getting out there. So you start to add the smarts to the work ethic of these young ladies that want to be the best at their craft. And, um, you know, I think that the offensive game has the, the production has been tremendous. The athleticism has been tremendous and uh, it's become a really fun game to watch. Coach, I'm going to just set the scene and then I'll ask a question on this, but it might've been a week or two ago in my mind. Uh, and, and I hadn't been following that closely, but in my mind, I thought, man, the softball team is struggling a little bit. They dropped a game. At, maybe it was Grand Canyon, and I forget where else. And so then I, I went on the website, and I looked, and, and, and you're 35-3 and three and number three in the country, and you're number two nationally in batting average and home runs and third in slugging. So I guess my point is you've set the bar that high. Congratulations. Um, but, but 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 expound upon – and that's a blessing and a curse, I realize. But expound upon just kind of the makeup of this year's team. You are at the midpoint. Obviously, you can hit the ball and Megan King's an ace. But, uh, you know, what do you like? Where do you need to get better as a team right now? No, I think that, um, you know, our freshmen are still going through it. We've got quite a few that are in the lineup for us or coming in, um, you know, pitching for us. And that's just part of a a freshman year is learning and and dealing with the ups and downs. Uh, All our returners that played the championship game, their confidence level has been awesome. They've been able to handle every scenario possible. And I think that's been so fun to watch them come off that season and take it into this season and just really play the game um, because they love it and they love the, the opportunity to have the bulls on the back. So now we've just got to mesh those young ones with the confidence of the older ones. The, 
you know, we're talking 60 games, 70 games of the season. So a lot of our freshmen are almost turning to be sophomores right now as they jump into the second part of the season. And so I'm excited to see how, you know, they do. And, um, you know, just I think the ACC in general, when you start working the three-game sets, you really start talking about a regional, super regional feel. How do you make those adjustments to pitchers, to hitters, um, to, you know, the smarts of the game? And that's what we're really trying to learn and, and work from now. And that doesn't work so well when you're playing single games against U.S. on a Wednesday night. You know, it's just us versus them kind of deal. And um, it's a little bit different than a three-game set. But, you know, I mean, we, we're getting a best of both worlds right now. We'll get a postseason atmosphere tonight. We'll get one here when we play U.S. But we also got the, the weekend series where we have to be a little bit smarter in our strategy. So um, just like to see us raise our game a little bit in awareness and being able to make adjustments. Speaking of those three-game sets, obviously uh, anybody that knows anything about Florida State's softball knows about Megan. Wh- who's going to be the number two? Who-, who do you think at the end of the year is going to step into that role as your as your second starting pitcher? Um, I, you know, honestly, we have amazing arms that all bring something different. So uh, it's almost like a reliever-closer who can match up with who kind of role. So – um, Mackenzie Herzog's got quite a bit of action for us. Um, she also plays the outfield at hit. So you think about it as a freshman, you know, you're already doing three things that, um, you know, most freshmen are only doing one. <laughs> so she's, she's getting in the circle. She's running down balls and, and she's slinging it down the bottom of the lineup for us. So it's pretty awesome. Catherine Sanderfalk has had some big games for us and come in big situations. And I think she throws a good heavy down ball that can, you know, get us a double play ball or whatever we might need situations. Um, Cass Davis has been crucial growth for us and, you know, throws a hard, I mean, she, she taps the seventies and, you know, can bring it in with some, some good heat and velocity. And so, um, and then Cara Bilodeau, a transfer who had knee surgery, um, you know, is slowly getting better and stronger as we go through the season. And, you know, it's kind of been a tough one for her to have surgery and come in and have to grow in February, jumping back into, to being fully healthy. So you think about all the arms and experience that we're getting, um, all of them can help us make a run with uh, the stability of Megan and, you know, what she can do. And even Kinger's game has gotten better. I mean, even she has added to her arsenal and um, her knowledge. So, you know, she's even transformed from last season to this season as a different style pitcher too. So that that's really cool to see them all have something different for the teams to – to scout against. See, Tommy, I was unaware that they were that deep in, in, in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're unaware of a lot of things. I sit next you're to you right. every Wednesday when we do this show. <laughs> hey, uh, we'll, we'll let you get running here, Coach, momentarily, but you said something that, that caught my ear. Uh, you said she taps the 70. So remind me and our listeners, what's the distance from uh, the rubber to home plate in softball? Yeah, so... Um, and and give me... Give, 43, and then yeah. give me the equation of what that would translate to if you're talking Major League Baseball where it's 60 feet, 6 inches, or college baseball. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the thing about, you know, us is we can push off the rubber. So 43 feet, but some kids are releasing the ball probably at 38, you know, 36 by the time they're releasing it. So reaction time, they say, you know, you're in between the, the hundreds, I guess, when you're throwing 70, 72 miles an hour. Um, like the kid will face Kelly Barnhill down in, in Florida. Either she'll face her tonight or a couple weeks when she comes up here. You know, she hits the 70s also. So the ball's on you quite quickly. Now, do you have the movement to match with that? That's where you start to be the big strikeout kid, you know. So um, some kids that throw hard, they, they can throw hard and not get away with it because they don't have the movement. Or some kids have the movement. So if you're talking, you know, 90s plus, upper 90s plus, tapping hundreds, you know, that's that's bringing it. Um, and a closer mentality. Um, and then you got some other kids that, you know, maybe they're 61 to 64. Uh, Megan King will be 65, so she's got good velocity, but she's got great movement and great slide on her pitches. 
So she's not in the same spot a ton. So um, that's what makes it so much fun, reaction time, you know. And then you look at a Mackenzie Herzog, who's 64 to 66, but she's got a change up at 48 miles an hour. So when you're all working on timing, you have to be able to fit one of those speeds. And uh, that's all it is in the circles to mess with the timing of the hitters. And so I think we have a really good arsenal of that. In my mind, I just saw images of whatever that cartoon was where I swung like six times and I missed all right. six times as the ball's coming. <laughs> I spun myself all the <laughs> yeah, way down exactly. into the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Coach, thank you for the, that. was a really good perspective. Uh, congratulations again on the success. Best of luck tonight. And uh, I'll see you at uh, FSU Day at the Capitol next week. I know there's a certain yeah. uh, national champion. Well, there's actually two national champion teams from FSU that are going to be part of those festivities. Yeah, and we're both here in this building. Isn't that fun? I, <laughs> Soccer, I, softball, hanging out together, yes. <laughs> I, I do kind of wonder if, uh, you, you know, after you won last year, you went over and you told Mark, you said, see, we're even now. And then he kind of <laughs> laughed, and six months later he came back and said, yeah, your turn. <laughs> that would be coach, man. He, he's so competitive over there. But, yeah, no, I, I always said, you know, we should have bottled the water and sold that here because there was something special going on for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I could use some for sure. Maybe it could help me at this point. Coach, appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Lonnie. Thank you all. Take care. Lonnie Alameda. So you're pushing 100 there. Well, I, I, think, I, of, think about what she said about when it's released. 38 feet? Did she get down to 36 feet? Exactly. <laughs> and here's the other thing, that if you've never done it, and I mouthed off one time, one time about I could hit fast pitch softball and they took my little butt out about 25 years ago when I was still able to do some things when you were still mouthy yeah uh, like I'm not now but here's the one thing that if you've played baseball if you're male and you've played baseball that you just can't get used to is the fact that they can throw that ball where it rises and I was whiffing and whiffing and whiffing and whiffing some more because you've never seen that on a baseball diamond yeah and it you know and she talks about megan megan could go four ways that ball can go down that ball can go up it can go left it can go right now we have we have ability to throw a screwball in baseball but it won't break like that big overhand curveball will but megan's will and now you got four different directions that ball can go and you can go from 100 miles an hour to a 60 the equivalent of a 65 right change up yeah, it'll make you look silly. I I look silly, and I politely bowed my head and said, "You win." I wish YouTube was around for that. It would have been humorous because I would retweet it today. Thank you. I'd probably pin it. As a matter of fact, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know you don't. Some of our listeners do. Most of them don't either, probably because we've run off all the younger folks as we discussed earlier. Right. We'll come back. Wrap up the show right after this. Uh, Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, uh, we will wrap things up here. I want to revisit what I mentioned earlier. Reminder, by the way, if you're headed to the spring football game, you're being encouraged to print your tickets at home. Just get them at uh, Seminoles.com. I think they're ten bucks. Uh, General mission, ten bucks. Two to two and a half hour uh, game expected. About twenty minutes after that is when the, the the concert starts. I do want to clarify. I mentioned that they're they're piloting a a lounge, for lack of a better term, for Seminole Booster and 
and season ticket holders. I believe for the spring game, it's by invite only, so it's a capped audience to see how that goes. But assuming that it goes well and they work through the mechanics, then it will be open uh, and maybe even in more than one location in the fall to all season ticket holders and booster members. And, and uh, you know, I think what I'm saying is if you go there and you weren't invited, don't blame me. I'm just trying to walk that back a well, little just bit. Just tell them you know Tom Block, you'll get in exactly. Or Keith Jones, they'll, they'll they have a separate entrance for you. And I'm told, and exit. And I'm told for whoever is eligible for it during the game, you'll also be eligible for it during the concert. Okay. There you go. I hope. Four o'clock, spring football game, Garnet, Gold, concert afterwards, alumni half uh, game at halftime, flag football. Keith Jones not participating. I just like watching them set up when they bring out all those tractors and all that stuff. I mean, it's like Cornerstone Tool and Fastener is, is orchestrating everything. And that's where I was going is because this is a project that needs some work, unfortunately. But it's it's out there at Mike Martin Field, Dickhauser Stadium. It's been a struggle, and so we need to get Ron. I, I don't know what they and have entire to fix crew. it. If you've got something that scoops up every ground ball and accurately completes a throw to every base around the diamond, we could use it right now. If you've got been, something that will make a, a bat hit a ball, occasionally it does, and it goes a long ways, but it doesn't hit the ball enough, we would look for that. Something that would find the strike zone from the mound more consistently. Whether it be from 43 feet or 60 feet, 6 inches, anything would be helpful. We're speaking in jest, but uh, so first part of this conversation, I don't know if they can fix the baseball woes, but they can fix whatever your do-it-yourself project is. So go see Ron and his staff at Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Now, as for baseball, and to be fair, uh, we have not addressed this with Tim that much. Tim has not seen them play a ton. I have not. Tim was on the basketball beat. He's been on spring football. I, I, I'm purely pulling this from just looking at the numbers. And I, I don't want to sound the alarm bells, but this is what it's going to be. If you are standing right now, sit. So FSU has won at least 40 games every season of Mike Martin's career, and even two before that, starting in 1978. They are at 18 wins right now, and if I counted right, there's 26 regular season games to go. So you can do the math on that and figure out the wiggle room. Now, there's the ACC tournament, regionals, super regionals, World Series if you get hot. So you got to win 22 of the next 26, subject to anything you can pick up in the postseason. Doesn't factor in. There'll probably be a couple rainouts. Also, oh, by the way, FSU is going to Miami this weekend, then plays the Gators at home, and then plays Clemson. So that's the next seven, seven games, games on the schedule. Man, I don't feel better after saying that. I will. Let's say this. Um, first of all, we know this is the end for Mike Martin, so we don't have to have any discussions about that. We all would hate to see it end with not getting to 40 or not getting to the NCAA. He has had many teams that have been discounted at this point in the year. And they have moved parts and pieces around. Now, at some point, you only have what your parts and pieces are, and you'll get exposed. But And he made significant changes for last night's game, even though they lost. But uh, they have there have been teams that have been written off that have won the tournament, uh, have gotten in. And so we've got a 40-year history here. I don't think we should write it off on April 3rd or whatever today's day is of 2019. But it is a that was mathematically That was Keith that offered the but. It is mathematically interesting when you look at the numbers the way you did, and thank you for pulling those. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We will do this again next week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and thanks for – well, it's only Wednesday. But enjoy the spring festivities. Enjoy your Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, too, and we'll talk to you again next week on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thought control. Dark sarcasm in the classroom